Now, it's got all this practical advice for us, but the fact is, I've seen this over and over again, in both in my life and in others, it's also true that we often don't really want to hear what it has to say. Uh, I, I know I've talked to Pastor Henry, Aunt Diane, who's done counseling in the church, and people will come to you with these problems, and they want answers. And you'll give them answers right out of the Bible, but that's not what they want to hear. That's not what they want to hear. They, I don't know what they want to hear, but they don't want to hear why they come to a church to get answers when they know you're going to give them answers out of the Bible, but that's not what they want to hear. So they just go right back out and keep doing the same thing uh, they've been doing, keep going around the same mountain. And I'll give you an example this morning. Let's say that someone came to you today with some of these problems. I'm being mistreated on the job. I'm, I'm in, I've got financial problems. My my husband is mistreating me. My wife is, is mistreating me. My marriage is in trouble. Um, I, I, I've got cancer. I'm, I'm, I'm dying. I mean, all these really, really bad problems. And, and if somebody just came to you today and gave you one of those problems, our advice might be, well, you just need to pray. You just need to believe, right? You, that would normally be the very first thing out of our mouth. Now, here's the thing. Those problems that I've just listed are the same problems people are having in this letter that Paul writes. I've just described those to whom Peter uh, wrote this letter. Remember, he's writing to people who are exiles. They, have, they are suffering under persecution under the emperor Nero. They've been run out of Rome. They've been scattered all across Asia. They've been scattered all across the Mediterranean. And their life is hard. They are, they are full of troubles. Even in that day, life was hard, but it, their life's even harder because they're mistreating. One of the, in chapter 2, you'll see that Christian slaves were being, being mistreated by their masters just because they were Christians. They, were, they hadn't done anything wrong. They were just being mistreated just because they were Christians. In chapter 3, you'll see Christian wives are being mistreated by unbelieving husbands. Um, many of the believers, as you get into chapters 2 and 3 and 4, many of the believers have been abandoned by their friends. They're being slandered just because they're, they're Christians. And, of course, some are under threat of their very life. As I just said, they're under the persecution of Nero. A lot of them will be martyred. I mean, they are literally facing death for their Christian faith. These are the problems. And, by the way, Peter knows about these problems, right? Because he's going to address it in chapter 2. He's going to address it in chapter 3. He's going to address it in chapter 4. So those, those types of problems back then are bad problems. They're hard problems. They make life difficult. And this is Peter's answer to those people. Look at verses 3. Actually, we'll look at 3 through 6. Peter says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you are grieved by various trials. Do you see his answer? That's what's so interesting. This is Peter's answer. Look to heaven. That's his answer. Look to heaven. This isn't your best life. You may not be chosen in this life, but you've been chosen for heaven. Look to heaven. Our best life is still to come. Now, I can pretty much say a lot of people, that's not the answer we want to hear, is it? We want help now. I need help with my marriage now. I need help with my finances now. Give me help now. Peter says, look to heaven. 
wow, what's coming is, is so great. Now, I, I want to, this morning, I want to set a little pretext before we kind of wade into the scripture and start, start looking at it. There may be some of you here this morning that your life is pretty good right now. It's pretty good. If you really thought, man, is my life hard? You think, no, nah, it's not really. I mean, my business is good. My work environment is good. My bills are all paid. My health is, is good right now. My, my kids, for the most part, aren't driving me insane. Um, you know, life is, is pretty good. You may not see today's lesson as immediately useful, okay, because life is good. But here's what I'm about to tell you. You need to take this lesson and you need to store it away because trouble's coming. Trouble's coming. That's just life. It, it goes through good, and then you'll hit a bad spell. That, that's, that's life, right? So it may be good now, but you need to take this lesson and maybe store it away in your heart because trouble is, is coming, and you're going to need this lesson when it gets here. Now, for those of you that, on the other hand, maybe life isn't so good right now. Maybe you are experiencing some of these uh, uh, problems that the people in, uh, in Peter's letter we're facing. Maybe your marriage isn't what it should be. Maybe your finances isn't what it should be. Maybe your health isn't what you would like it to be. And it could be that I might sit here today and talk to you about this idea of what's waiting on you on the other side. I'm going to point out this idea of a future uh, inheritance that God is guarding for you. And you may sit here and you think, man, I just really don't, that don't really do a lot for me. I just don't get it, man. I need help now. If that's you, and what I mean by that is, yes, you have troubles, but the idea of a future inheritance, a future salvation doesn't comfort you, then it could be true that you're buying into an errant form of Christianity. You see, there's a form of Christianity out there that focuses on the here and now, not eternity. Even though the Bible tells us clearly, set your eyes on eternal things. Clearly, not on the world. Set your eyes on eternal things. There is a form of Christianity that just sets its eyes. It's all about the here and the, and the now. Reverend Ike, some of you older folks may remember Reverend Ike. He's been dead about 10 years now. But he had a famous saying. He said this, I don't want my pie in the sky when I die. I want cash in the stash here and now. And he did. He drove a Rolls Royce and lived in a big house and, and made a lot of money. He was pretty blatant about it. You didn't have any, there was no, you didn't have to guess where Reverend Ike stood when it came to Christianity. It was all about the here and now. But other people are a little more subtle, a little more uh, subtle when it comes to it. For example, the, the title of our lesson today is Your Best Life Later. Joel Osteen has a book out there called Your Best Life Now. And I've never read it, but I, I've seen some quotes from it. Some of the, a couple of the quotes I pulled out of it is this. God wants this to be the best time of your life. As you put the principles found in these pages to work today, you'll begin living your best life now. Now listen, if you're an unbeliever, that's true. This is your best life now, because what waits you on the side is infinitely worse. If you're an unbeliever, this is your best life now, and you better enjoy it. Go buy the book. Go buy the book and apply the principles, because this is your best life. This is as good as it's ever going to get, because on the other side, it's going to be way, way, way worse. But listen, as Christians, this ain't my best life. It ain't even close to my best life. 
There's something waiting for me that is beyond my imagination. I don't want to focus. It's not about this. But that's a very subtle way. And by the way, it's worked for Joel Osteen. I think his net worth is 40 to 60 million. He lives in a 17,000 square foot house worth 10 million dollars. It's worked for him. He's living a good life now. But see, there are many in this world that buy into Christianity, and it's all about what it can do for them now. I've discipled young men and mentored young men that have walked down to this aisle and knelt down and 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 made a profession of faith in Christ. But as soon as you sit down with them over lunch and you start talking to them, it's not about their salvation. It's about their problems. They came to Christ because they thought Christ could solve their problems. And you keep trying to turn them to Jesus and turn them to Jesus. They don't want to really hear about Jesus. They want to hear about their they want to talk about their problems. And those people, by the way, and we'll talk about this next week, they're not here anymore. They'll hang around for a couple weeks or a couple months or a couple years, but eventually they're gone because it's not real. It's not, there's no regeneration. It's just something that came out of their, their mouth. See, what they really want is the good life now, not later. They're not willing to put it off. They want it, they want it now. They, they came to Christ because somebody said, man, God has got a plan for your life, and then they looked up and the plan didn't look anything like they thought it was going to look. The plan involved... Uh, you know, it just nothing maybe changed. Their life got worse. You've heard people say that. I Man, my life got worse after, because it's never about your life now. It's about your eternal soul. That's what it's always been about. See, as Christians, I, I'm afraid, very afraid, in fact, that we've gotten very far away from this eternal perspective that we should live with. We we think salvation means you know, health and wealth and prosperity and blessings and, and, and all of this type of stuff. And so and when you get that mindset, you, you'll complain when you suffer. You'll complain when you go through troubles. You'll, you'll, you'll murmur against God. You'll, you'll struggle with unbelief and with, and with doubt and you'll run after things that you think are going to make you happy because your, your perspective is all messed up. See, we need to stop and think, and I'm going to try to make you think this morning about what salvation really means. Listen to me. This is what salvation really means. You and I who deserve hell have been saved from that by the death of Jesus Christ. That's it. That's salvation. That's what it's all about. I was watching the, the, a version of The Grinch the other day with one of my grandkids, and, and there were some carolers came through. And it was a little cartoon story, and some carolers came through. And what's that song? God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. For what? To save us all from Satan's power when we had gone astray. That's salvation. That's what we're being saved from, from the wrath of God. That's salvation. That's it. You see, contrary to what's popularly taught in books and, and, and CDs and television shows and, and Christian networks and from many of our pulpits, the Lord never promised you that you'd be happy. The Lord never promised that you'd live this great, fulfilled, sick-free, poverty-free, trouble-free life. In fact, He promised just the opposite. John sixteen thirty three. He said this, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace because in this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. 
He never promised us this, this, this rose, you know, scattered path that we're going to walk down and everything. No, he never said that. Not at all. Said he'd never leave us. Said he'd never forsake us. Said he would stick closer than a brother. Made a lot of great promises to us. But he never said that this life would be trouble free. So here is Peter's answer to those who are struggling with health problems, who are struggling with uh, addiction problems, who are struggling with poverty, who are struggling with all these troubles and things like this. His answer is this, whatever our problems, we can praise God as Christians because He has saved us eternally. That's what he's saying. Look, look, to, look what He's done for you. You see, Peter wants us to remind us in this, this wonderful passage about our salvation, about what God has done for you and I on an eternal scale, not, not for a momentary period of time, but on an eternal scale, what he's done for us. And he makes five points about our salvation. And here they are. Number one, he tells us that our salvation comes from him. Our salvation comes from him. Look at verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. According to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Listen, Paul, uh, Peter wants to remind us that our salvation never comes from any merit in us. That there's nothing in us that earns it or deserves it or, or is worthy of it. We cannot, not only can we not do anything to earn it, we can't even do anything to predispose God to grant it to us. It's got nothing to do with us. It's according to His great mercy. It's completely His undeserved favor. It's not 99% God and 1% you. It's not 99.9% God and 0.01% you. It is 100% God and nothing in you. It is just His mercy, it is His grace, His undeserved favor. Listen to Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. Paul says this, And you were, what? Say that word with me. You are spiritually dead. You're dead. I, I, I had a thing one time, and I, was, I, would, I, would, I asked my class, How do you picture your salvation? And I had a picture, and there was a man out drowning. He's drowning, and, and, and the idea is God throws you a preserver, right? You're drowning. That's not what Paul says at all. You're not drowning. You're dead at the bottom of the sea. You're dead. You have no life in you whatsoever. You can do nothing for yourself. We say it, listen, we can go across the street or, or down here to the Lake Ellen Cemetery, and we can preach all day. Is anything going to happen? No, they're not. There's no life there. There's nobody to hear. There's nobody to listen. There's nobody to respond. Paul says that's who you were. You were dead in sin. That is spiritually dead. There is no life in you whatsoever. You can't choose God. You can't even want God. You, you can't respond to God. Because why? Because you're dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and you were by nature children of wrath. You were under the wrath of God. You were an enemy of God, spiritually dead. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, he made us alive together with Christ. 
by grace you've been saved. We could think of it as God literally leaning over a dead Derek or a dead Jim or a dead Dallas and breathing spiritual life into our lungs and making us come alive. That's what Paul said he did. And all of a sudden we, said, we saw him. We, we saw things the way we'd never seen them before. There was a faith in us that had never been there before. God did that. 100% him and all because of his mercy. Now listen, human nature don't like that. Human nature don't like that. Human nature wants to believe that we somehow are good enough, that we're somehow smart enough, that somehow if we just work enough or or do enough good works, we can earn our way to heaven. By the way, every man-made religion out there is based on that premise. Every man-made religion out there, go read them, go, go study the Muslims. You have the, you have the five pillars of Islam. You, you do those five things. You pray three times a day. You give alms. You, you observe Ramadan. You do the five things. And maybe, if you do it good enough, you'll get into heaven. Jehovah's Witnesses, same thing. Mormons, same thing. It's all about works, being a, doing enough of this, doing enough of that, wearing the right underwear, being baptized the right way, whatever the case is. I mean, that's seriously. It's all about, you just, you got to just toe the line. Every man-made religion was all about works. Christianity says no. By the way, if you deserve salvation in any form or fashion, it's not God's mercy. It's not mercy. And by the way, a second thing to remember, a salvation that can be earned is never secure. Because a salvation that can be earned is a salvation that can be lost. A salvation that can be earned is a salvation that can be lost. We didn't earn this, and we can't lose it. I'll I'll talk about that next week. You see, as long as you're trying to earn it, there's always this thought, man, what if I do something really bad? Or what if I did something really bad? Have I done enough to offset that? Is God grading on a curve? I hope he is. Because if he's really holding, if he's really towing the line, I'm in trouble. See, for those that are trying to earn their way into heaven, you can never know for sure whether or not you're saved. No way. But see, for the Christian, it's not like that. Our hope of salvation is as secure as the mercy of God. Think about that. Your hope of salvation isn't isn't as secure as you. It's got nothing to do with you. It's as secure as the mercy of God is great. And that's what Peter wants them to remember. Whatever problems you face in this life, you can praise God because our salvation comes from Him, not from you. Number two, Peter says this, our salvation comes from His life-giving power. Read that again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Who's the cause of our salvation? Who's the cause of our regeneration? God Himself. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He's scared and, and you don't want nobody to see him. So he comes to Jesus at night and I don't know what he wants to talk about. He tries to start a conversation and Jesus just basically ignores him and says this. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? 
And Jesus answered, That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. You don't know where it's coming from. You don't know where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. See, when, we, when, when Peter says we are been born again, he's talking about being born of the Spirit. We need spiritual life to be breathed into us. We need spiritual life to be born inside of us. See, just as we are born physically, we must be born spiritually. And by the way, just as you played no part in your physical birth, you didn't decide what family, what country, what race, what gender, you made none of them decisions. Just as you had no part in your physical birth, you play absolutely no part in your spiritual birth. It is a God thing. God does that. John 1, 12 through 13 said this, But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born spiritually, he's talking about, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but you are born of God. It's 100% him, and it's done through his power. By the way, this just gives us more and more reasons to praise God, because if our salvation comes from my performance, if it comes from my will, if it comes from from anything to do with me, it's always on shaky ground. Listen, I don't know about you, but I know myself. You don't know me, but I know me. And I can tell you, if God Almighty wasn't holding on to me with two arms wrapped around me, I'd be gone. Because I am prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the one I, I love. If he just opened his arms and left me alone, I would just, I'd just go off. He ain't, he ain't, he's holding on. He's got two arms around, wrapped around me tight. See, it's, it's him. It's all about him. Our salvation comes not from my will, but from the sovereign will of God. And it's based on his power to bring us out of spiritual death and into spiritual life. By the way, that's a sure thing. You ain't got to worry about that. That's a guarantee. Whatever problems we face in this life, we can praise him because our salvation doesn't come out of me and what I'm good enough for, or how I'm going to act, or any of those things, it comes from his life-giving power. Number three, Peter says, our salvation comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Again, look at the verse. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How do you do it? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to ask you a question this morning. Have you ever wondered why the resurrection of Jesus is so important to our salvation. You, know, you understand it is, right? For example, in 1 Corinthians 15, 17, Paul says this, if Christ is not raised from the dead, your faith is futile. Just go home. Go home. This is useless. We're just, we're just pretending. If Christ is not raised from the dead, you are still in your sins. Go home. You're still a dead man. You're still a dead woman. Just go home. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. That's what, that's what Paul said. By the way, Romans 10, 9, how are we saved? If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and what? Believe in your heart that he died on the cross. No. Believe in your heart that he's the redeemer come from God. No. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Do you really believe that? You believe that and you'll be saved. You don't believe that, you can't be saved. It is, it, is in, it is integral to our salvation. Now, why? 
There's actually several reasons why the resurrection is so important. I'm going to give you two of them. One Peter's talking about and the other's not. I'm just going to throw it in for free. One of the reasons the resurrection is so important is because it validates who Jesus said he was. It validates who he said he was. I am the Son of God, he said, and I am the Christ, the Messiah. And being raised from the dead validate that. In Matthew chapter 12, some Pharisees came to him and said, Give us a sign. Give us a sign that shows that you are who you say you are. And he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign, but no sign will be given to it except one, the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You're going to get one sign, and that's his resurrection. That's the sign. That's, that validates everything he, who he said he was. That's why it's so important. It was a sign, by the way, that was attested to by hundreds of eyewitnesses. You can read that in 1 Corinthians 15. It is a sign that provides irrefutable proof that he is the Savior of the world. But that's not what Peter's talking about. Peter says you are born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You are born again. You are made spiritually alive through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what, is he, what does he mean by that? Well, let's read a few scriptures what Jesus said about life. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and what? I'm the life. John 1, 4, it says this, In him was life, and life was the light of men. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. 1 John 5, 20, and the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. 1 John 5, 12, he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Spiritual, he is spiritual life. He doesn't just give spiritual life, and this is what you've got to understand. He doesn't just give it, he is it. Look what, 1 John 5, 12, read it again. He who has the Son has the life. He doesn't just give it to you and say, here you go, Derek, there's your eternal life, do, do your best with it. No, he comes and indwells me. And in indwelling me, I get his life. The life that I live is no more, I don't live it, it's Christ who lives in me, it's his life is in me. That's my spiritual life. Colossians 3, 4, Paul says this, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, you will also be revealed with him in glory. See, he's doing more than giving life, he is life. Listen, if Jesus doesn't raise from the dead, there is no life. There is no spiritual life, there is no eternal life apart from Christ himself. If he doesn't raise from the dead, there is no new birth, there is no spiritual life to breathe into you. He is our life. Don't look at it as some separate thing. Our spiritual life is in Christ. And if he's not raised from the dead, there is, we're, never, we're never born again. That's why Paul said, just go home, you're still in your sins. It's that important that we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And by the way, just as he conquered death, now he's inside of us, death cannot conquer us. Death cannot conquer us. That's impossible. He's already conquered death. Where's your sting, death? It's gone. It's over. Having the spiritual life that Jesus gives inside of us, we've already overcome death through him. 
1 Corinthians 15, 20-23, Paul says this, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as my man came death by a man who, who has come also the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all shall be made alive. If there is no living Christ, there is no living Derek, or Bob, or Sue, or Mary, or any other of the millions of people who have experienced salvation. It comes because he was raised from the dead. First Peter 1, 3, and I love this. This is what he says. Don't forget this. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, say that with me, a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are born to a living hope. Here's another way to say it. It's a hope based on the life that Christ has put in us. You see, worldly hope fades and grows weaker over time, doesn't it? If you, are, if you hope in a worldly way, over time when your hopes don't come true, they fade and you begin to doubt. This isn't that kind of hope. This is a living hope. It's, it's in me because of the life of Christ in me. And it just gets stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger as the day of his appearing gets closer and closer. It doesn't fade. It just shines more brightly. It is a living hope, not the hope that the world gives. So whatever problems we face in this life, Peter says, we can praise him because our salvation comes through his resurrection. Number four, our salvation is safe. Look at verse four. He said this, We have been born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter is describing our salvation here as an inheritance. Okay, that, that's, that's what he's talking about. Salvation and everything that comes with it is our in inheritance. Now, we all know that Christ is our portion. Christ himself is our inheritance. But it also includes everything that he's got planned for us. Okay, and there's a... I, I mean, we'll talk about this in a second. We can't even fathom what, what's going to be coming our, our way. In fact, it is so indescribable that the only way Peter can describe it is to tell you what it's not. You see this sometimes when, when, when men are using human language to, try to, to describe something that's undescribable. The only way he can describe it is to tell you what it's not. He can't even tell you what it is because there's no words. So the words he uses, he says it's not perishable. It's not, it can't be defiled. It, it, it'll never fade. I mean, think about that for a minute. An earth, think about an earthly inheritance. It, it is subject to death, right? For, for example, I may die before I can even obtain it, right? I might have this great inheritance, which, by the way, I don't. But, but if I did, if I did, I might be looking forward to it. Wow, one day I'm going to be a rich man. And then I drop dead tomorrow and I never get it. Right? It's imperishable. It, it can't go away. And by the way, even if I live, that inheritance could be squandered. It could be stolen. Right? Something could happen to it. The market could crash, and all of a sudden, something that was worth a billion dollars yesterday is worth two cents tomorrow. See, our heavenly inheritance is not like that. It doesn't perish. It doesn't fade away. It stays exactly the same. It's not subject to any of those things. It's undefiled. I was reading the other day about a company, a family that was filthy rich. I mean, billionaires 
multiple times over. But it came out that they earned their, the company that earned them all the money from their grandfather used slave labor during the Holocaust. So they got all this money, but it's tainted. It's defiled. And now they're trying to give a lot of it back because they feel so guilty about it. They feel so shamed about it. See, even, even money, inheritance that you get can be defiled. It can be morally tainted, not ours. Ours is pure. And not, nothing can ever defile it or taint it in any way. It's unfading. It's, it's free from the ravages of time. They're just in it, his riches are inexhaustible and pure and undefiled and unfading. We don't have to worry about ever getting the things that he has gotten for us. By the way, as I said earlier, that's all well and good. What, what, if, I had, what if I had a billion dollars of gold bars and they're sitting in Fort Knox under, under guard? I mean, I have did everything we can to guard my inheritance. I, I, as I said earlier, I could die tomorrow, right? What if I don't ever make it there? Can you understand the, pe the people that Peter are writing to would be thinking this? They know that tomorrow somebody could walk in that door and take them and take them to the arena and put them inside of a, a time inside of a, uh, the skin of a wild animal and set dogs on them. They know that tomorrow somebody could come to their door and take them and put them in a pot of boiling water. They know tomorrow somebody could give them and put them on a rack and ask them to deny Christ. Do you don't think that's on their mind? How do I know I won't deny him? How do I know that I'll hold my faith until the end? How do I know that I'll get there to get the inheritance? Oh man, this is the best part of all. This is the best part of all. You see, Peter says, your salvation is secure in God's power. Look at what he said in verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You, brother and sister in Christ, if you are a child of God, you are being guarded right now. You are being guarded, even in the midst of cancer, even in the midst of family problems, even in the midst of financial problems, you are being guarded. This word guarded, by the way, is a military term. 2 Corinthians 11.32, it's used this way. It says, In Damascus, the governor under Aretas the king was guarding the city of Damascenes with a garrison. That's the term that Peter... He, he's being, your salvation is being guarded. You are being guarded. Not, by the, by the way, by a garrison of troops that could be overwhelmed or, or killed by superior numbers. You are being guarded by the power of God. You are being guarded by a God who spoke this universe into existence through a word of his mouth. That's, who, that's who's guarding you. And what he's doing, he's guarding that spiritual life that's inside of you. He's guarding that. And he's making sure that you're going to make it to the... He's not only keeping the inheritance safe, he's making sure that your spiritual life is going to make it all the way there so that you can get that inheritance. How's he doing that? 1 Peter 1.5, listen to me. We're going to talk about this more next week. Who by God's power are being guarded, say that with me, through faith. He's using your faith to guard you. He's using your faith to guard you. See, listen to me, folks. This, there are so many indicators of this in the Bible. This is another indicator that the believing faith that you have right now 
is not of your own volition. It doesn't come from you. It's not something you conjure up on your own. Believing faith is a gift from God. Believing faith itself is a gift from God. He imparts it to you and He maintains it in you. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we read this earlier. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, what? Being saved through faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. See, he, he keeps your faith and he makes it stronger. You remember, we, we talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, Peter comes to Jesus and Jesus said this to Peter. Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He's asked for permission to sift you like wheat. And I've, I've granted him permission. And then Jesus said this, I've prayed for you that what? Tell me. Your faith may not fail. And when you return to me, strengthen your brothers. Man, do you understand that each one of us have a mediator right now at the right hand of the Father praying every day that your faith may not fail? And what Jesus prays for, he always gets. He is praying for you right now. He's praying the Father. Father, Derek's fixing to go through something. Don't let his faith fail. Uphold his faith. Strengthen his faith. And God does that over and over and over again. That's why true believers will always endure to the end. True believers, their faith doesn't fall away. It gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It, no, it doesn't matter what the world throws at them. Because God is there strengthening their faith. And that's how he's guarding our salvation. 1 Peter 1.5, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The idea here, and I love this, the idea is our salvation, what it's going to be, it's getting ready to be unveiled. It, we, right now, we, we see it a little bit. We see through a glass darkly. We kind of get an idea, but we have no clue. He, he's, it, there's fixing to come a time when he's going to take the veil off and we're going to see for the very first time, what he's prepared for us. Again, right now, we only enjoy a small part of what salvation means. But he has got something so incredible for us that, by the way, it's so incredible that we can't even imagine it. 1 Corinthians 2.9, Paul says this, It is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has even entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for love. It's not even in your, it's not even in your heart. I mean, you can't even figure it out. It's, it's something that's never been seen before, never been thought of before, never been done before. First John 3, 2, uh, John says this, Beloved, we are now children of God, and what we will be has not yet been revealed. He hasn't showed us yet what we're gonna, what's going to happen. <clears throat> but I can tell you this, it's going to be far greater than anything you or I have ever imagined. I get so frustrated sometimes when I see these cartoons with people playing harps on a cloud, and, and, and it makes people think heaven is going to be... Let me tell you, the God that created this earth, the spectacular complexities of this earth, have you... you imagine? I mean, just think sometimes. We go through life and we don't think about all that goes on around us. The different forms... I mean, can you imagine? I see animals sometimes and the things they do, and I'm like... I, who thought of that? He did. That God has got things prepared for us that's not even entered into our heart, not even entered into our mind. It's not going to be boring. 
David said, at your side are pleasures forever. At your side are pleasures forever. You can never get bored with him. You will never quit learning and figuring things out with him. Whatever problems we face in this life, we can praise him because our salvation is safe and secure in him. Next week, we're not going to leave this topic. We're going to carry on a few more verses. We're going to talk about the perseverance of the saints. One of the things that I believe the Bible teaches very clearly is that once you are saved, you will make it to heaven. I believe the Bible is very clear about that. And I think that's important for us because a lot of people struggle with assurance. A lot of Christians struggle with how can I know that I'm saved? How can I know that I can stay saved? We're going to look at that next week with the perseverance of the saints. Let's pray.